Welcome to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and SaaS podcast, where Jonathan Denwood interviews the leading experts in WordPress, e-learning, and online marketing to help WordPress professionals launch their own SaaS. Welcome back, folks, to This Week in WordPress and SaaS. Um, this is episode 748. We've got a great special guest. I've got my co-host as well, Kurt. Our guest is David Rushley. Rushley. Um, Rusty, I'm sure I, I, David, do not take it personally because I managed to butcher every guest's uh, um, surname almost every episode. So don't take it too personally, Dave. Um, he, David's a really experienced investor. He's been involved in the WordPress space for many years. It's going to be a great conversation. First of all, I'm going to let my co-host Kurt introduce himself. Kurt, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Absolutely. It's great to see everyone again. My name is Kurt, Kurt Von Annen. I own an agency called Manana Nomas. I focus mainly on membership and learning websites. Uh, and it's great to meet David. That's great. And David, would you like to give the listeners and viewers a quick intro about yourself and your, how you got involved in the crazy world of WordPress and investing mm-hmm. in it? Yeah, sure. Um, so um, I've been... Um, studying computer science since I was 13. Uh, on those days, I was like punching cards, as we say. Like it was the early days of the computer. So I was sitting in a room with a huge machine that punched cards. And after punching a bunch of cards, we would take, in, take it to another room where we put the cards in a machine, another machine in a slot. And then it reads the cards, and then we wait another hour to get the output. So that's how I started. And that's a huge uh, way to go, a huge journey to the days that we move with iPhones or, or watches, like I have an Apple Watch and I have my uh, Apple, Apple phone, and everything is connected and very, very quick. So that's, that's, that's my journey. And... Um, I graduated computer science when I was 24. And since then, I've been involved in startups and company, building new company, selling them, um, doing um, a, lot of con- a lot of consulting uh, to government agencies and uh, other startups. So, and, and going forward in 2005, I... Um, got the first kick of WordPress. Friend approached me, someone from the startup industry, uh, and he told me, listen, we are building a website for our own new startups. Can you help us with that? So that's how I got to know WordPress. And in 2012, I started building products for WordPress, mainly plugins. And that's what I've been doing in the last 11 years almost already. Um, and that's, that's aside from being an investor. So I would say that my personality, like from the working experience from the, uh, is divided into a couple of fields and, uh, building products for WordPress is one of them and doing investment in different areas, uh, not just high tech is, is, is much bigger or much more, um, dominant in what I do, but I'm, all around, all, all around the day, doing both of them. All, 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 all my doing is like circulated throughout the day. So I'm just switching from one thing to another, and that's that's uh, 
that's what I'm doing. That's great. It's going to be a fascinating discussion. We're going to be asking David about what he thinks of WordPress, the opportunities. Are, are there any of his recent investments in WordPress that he's really excited about? It's going to be a fascinating discussion. Um, we're going to go for our first sponsor break. I've um, got a couple of messages from our leading sponsors. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. Are you looking for ways to make your content more engaging? Sensei LMS by Automatic is the original WordPress solution for creating and selling online courses. Sensei's new interactive blocks can be added to any WordPress page or post. For example, interactive videos let you pause videos and display quizzes, lead generation forms, surveys, and more. For a 20% off discount for the tribe, just use the code WPTONIC, all one word, when checking out and give Sensei a try today. Hi there, folks. It's Jonathan Denwood here, and I want to tell you about one of our great sponsors, and that's Zolo.com. If you've got a WordPress website, a membership website, and you're looking to link it with a great financial management package, Zolo can provide this solution. So all your bookkeeping needs are done through Zolo. If you need new inbox email functionality and you don't want to pay the high charges that Google will charge you, Zolo offers a great email inbox platform. They've got over 50 apps and services that all integrate fantastic with WordPress at great value levels and they almost always offer a fully functioning free product as well. So it's just amazing value. Also, if you're a WordPress developer or agency owner, Zolo are looking for great partnerships in the WordPress space. To get all this information, all you have to do, folks, is just go over to Zolo.com and they have the products that you're looking for. Thank you so much, Zolo, for supporting WP Tonic and the Machine Membership Shows. It's much appreciated. We're coming back, folks. I just want to point out we've got some fantastic deals from our sponsors. Um, also, we've got a curated list of all the best plugins in various categories. If you all have been used by me or my team and are recommended, um, it will save you a ton of time if you're looking for the best solution for a particular job on WordPress. To get all these goodies, all you have to go is go over to WPTonic slash deals, WPTonic slash deals, and they're all laid out for you. Plus, you can sign up for the WPTonic weekly newsletter, which has great stories about WordPress and SaaS in general. So, David, um, so what any of your investments in WordPress or your involvement in plugins that you're the most proud of, of your, of your family of WordPress? <laughs> uh, is there, I know it's difficult. You shouldn't choose a favourite, you know, when you're talking about your children. But uh, um, is there any particular one that you're the most proud of or thinks the most interesting you can share with the audience, David? Yeah, sure. So to, to be honest, as an investor, I'm trying to balance my investment and being a bit away from WordPress. So I'm not investing in the field that I'm working in. Um, so my investments are a bit elsewhere, um, mainly 
uh, cyber, uh, cybersecurity. And in the last couple of years, I'm also investing in agri-tech, agriculture technology. Uh, so these are the two main domains of my investments. Um, but in WordPress, what I'm doing mostly is investing in my company. So I do get proposal or uh, people approach me about investing in their venture, which is like WordPress based or close to WordPress. But usually I'm keeping away because I think that it's too much weight on my portfolio with my funds in the same place in which I'm working on. So that's how I balance my portfolio. So I'm, I'm like putting the stakes in my work on WordPress, but when I'm do, doing investments, um, I'm going elsewhere. Although my knowledge is very, very deep. Um, usually you invest in places, in, in fields that you understand mostly. So um, I do my, see myself as an expert with many years for experience in WordPress, so I understand the environment, the ecosystem, etc. But I do investment elsewhere, also in fields that I did uh, work in the past, and then I understand very good. So like that's how I balance. But if looking at my company and what we do in Creative Minds, um, we j- just general. Um, uh, maybe background about what we, how we started. Um, as I said, I started building plugins in 2012. I didn't have an idea where it's going to take me to. Uh, I did it as a side hobby, maybe you can say. And then I started that to see that um, you can upload a free plugin to the WordPress uh, org repository uh, website. People download it, and then if you offer a premium version some people convert and buy the premium version. So that was new to me. And then I took uh, the first plugin, which I wrote or um, even uh, enhanced. I took a plugin that was uh, abandoned. It was the glossary plugin, tooltip glossary. Then I rewrote it and republished it. And then the first thing we did is to um, publish a premium version of it. And since then, we invested 12 years of development. So if I'm sp- thinking about what, what is the most expensive investment we made in our company, Creative Minds, and when I'm speaking about ours, I, I, I should uh, mention my colleague or my um, partner, Marcin. Uh, he's located, by the way, in Poland, and I'm located in Israel. Uh, and we meet a lot. I mean, it's not just we meet virtually, but we actually literally meet uh, so I'm flying there, or he's coming here, and we have uh, sessions uh, in which we work face-to-face, like we sit face-to-face and speak and discuss how we're going forward. Um, uh, maybe I'll speak about it later, because it's, I think that's part of the, of the culture that we are trying to promote. And um, so we started working together on developing the glossary plugin, and again, 12 years of investing so many hours. And I think like looking at the company that we build, that's our biggest investment. And it's like our most selling plugin. And every every month there is something new that we add to it. So uh, what, what does this particular plugin does, David? Um, this plugin lets you organize all the terminology terms and knowledge of your website in in a glossary or you can say a dictionary because you can use it also as a dictionary. Uh, and then you can link to the dictionary from all the posts or pages on your site. And once you link, you can also show a tooltip 
But once you hover over the term, it shows you an excerpt of the of the term itself. So it can be like three lines out of the whole term. And it has like, this is really the essence of the, what the plugin does because it does many more things. Like just now, the last month, we connected it to chat GPT, which is like the common, like the, the, the last buzzword in the, in the area. But, but to be honest, it's very, very suited to our plugin mm-hmm. because yeah. part of what people are looking for is that you will tell, you would tell them what's the content of the term. So if, if they come up with a term, uh, for their website, they don't want to write the content. So in that case, what we do, we just, you know, import the content from ChatGPT. We just let them define the query. Like, uh, let me know what is this term. For example, like they write the query and they, they save it. So all the terms use the same query. And that's how you get your, your site full of terms that ChatGPT, uh, wrote for you. Right. So that's, that's just, an, you know, that's just a recent example, but the, the, the glossary is so huge. In its functionality, it can act as a dictionary. It can act, you know, it can do many, many things. So that's that's our most uh, comprehensive and developed product that we invested the most in. Uh, and we have, uh, just for WordPress, we have more than 100 products. So like, it's a huge collection of, of products already uh, that we developed over the years. And we are keeping, like, we, we keep updating all of them. Uh, of course, there are there are those that are more popular and those that are less popular. Uh, but again, there there is a huge collection of of products, and uh, the glossary is for sure the most uh, sold and used, and and I think that the one that we are mostly proud of. Oh, that's great! Over to you, Kurt. Excellent. Um, Having been in the plugin game for so long and working with the internet for so long, you have experience with startups. What what's the startup investment scene like in Israel? Like I've seen over here in America, I've seen shows on Discovery and and the History Channel and stuff about how Israel and Tel Aviv and stuff is like this hub of IT. What's it right. like over there? Um, so just just to give a bit bit of background about the. Uh, first of all, Israel is small, right? Like, so if you travel from north to south, it, it might take you five hours, but the startup industry is much in, in, in much shorter distances. So the big hubs are around two hours max from each other. They're like, so it's very, very close. Um, and there are many, many, uh, in, in industrial areas, uh, which are full of high tech company. Although in these, in these days, uh, many po- people go virtual, so you have, you know, mixed um, a company that work both from home and and in office. Uh, there are more than ten thousand companies, like startup companies in Israel. So it's huge, like there are so many, right? And every year there are more and more that are coming to the market. Um, in the in the recent years, the number is is going down. And the reason is partly because the companies are maturing. And once they are maturing, they are looking for more and more funds from one side and more and more developers. And again, the, the number of uh, relevant or uh, people in the market is not unlimited. So you'll see company maturing. Uh, of course, you know, there's a lot of M&As and, and uh, mergers. But... Um, 
the, the, the ecosystem is huge. Um, around 200 funds, VCs are in this market. 80 of them are not local, right? So you have the big names from the Silicon Valley, also in Israel. And there are something like 400 active investors. Um, right. So, so it's, it's a, it's a huge ecosystem. Um, many conferences, meetings, whatever, like, and, and I think that the, the, the fuel to this market, and I, I think that to understand how the, the ecosystem in Israel works, you have to understand the cycle of, I think that that, and that's related to the Israeli army. If we just want to look at it from this perspective, because every year there is a bunch of very, very talented, engineers going out of the army to the market. Because in the army, there are many, many units using uh, very sophisticated high-tech technology. For instance, the intelligent units, uh, the Air Force units, and they are, you know, they're they're doing cutting-edge technology and many, many engineers going out of them and then going to the market with those new ideas uh, and to connect to that, like to, 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 to add to that is that the climate in Israel is for innovation. Like if you want to succeed, you don't go, like you don't work in IBM or, you know, the big names of Intel. You start your own company. That's, that's what people are looking for. And just, you know, that just as a note, when I, when I started, um, uh, working in WordPress, we opened the, uh, an office in Poland, in Krakow. And the, the atmosphere there was completely different. And that was strange for me because in there, if you want to succeed, you go and work in IBM or Intel or Google or the big names. And that's completely different from what happens in Israel. In Israel, people are looking to innovate themselves. Right? So th- th- that's the cycle. So it's a very, very vivid environment. Uh, lots of companies, lots of ideas. Um, of course, not, not all of them succeed, you know, like, like everywhere, but people strive, you know, like there, there, there are many, many things happening all the time, all the time. Very interesting. That's excellent. Thank you. Uh, Jonathan, head on back to you. Yeah, I'm going to change my next question slightly, David. So um, in WordPress, um, I would say the, the most dominant, the most well-known Israeli-based company in the WordPress space is Alimator um, and their success. So when it comes to specifically WordPress, do you, are there any particular sectors, opportunities that you think are still possible to build uh, opportunities in the Word space area? Or um, do you think it's become mature? Because um, – I've got mixed feelings about it. In some ways, I think it's a mature market, but in other ways, I still think there's some great opportunities in that in this particular area. Yeah, that's that's um that's a complex question. Uh, I, I met the guys from Elementor when they started, like when they even before they managed to raise the the first one million dollar. That's how they started. And we spoke and I, I could also invest there. But at that time, again, I used the same methodology I'm using now, like to keep things apart, yeah. like my investment and my work. Maybe it was a mistake, of course. Um, I, I think that the, the, I don't think that WordPress as a platform, um, 
if I might say, evolves in the right direction. And, and saying that, uh, and I'll explain myself, I think that the opportunities are, are, are not so big as they should be for new startups to join, right? It's becoming harder and harder uh, for startups to evolve in this atmosphere, in this environment. And I think the uh, w- when we started, we started with our own funding, like we did self-funding. We didn't take any money from external investors. And I think like doing what we did now would, you know, require funds, like like uh, at least like to start with $1 million or $2 million just to kick everything up and market things, etc. That's what Elementor did, actually. Uh, and the, the, the risk is, is, is big. The risk is not so small as, as it seems. So I, I think that, you know, like, and, and going back to my statement about, um, about WordPress as a platform, I think that in a way it's a bit, um, it's a bit stuck. If I may say that, you know, like it's a, it's a very, uh, <laughs> it's a very hard statement, but it's stuck in a way that, you know, it's, it's not enough user friendly from my point of view as a platform, right? You can, you can install a plugin that is very, very user friendly and very communicative, but people are looking for something much more friendly, much more intuitive. And I think the platform itself is, is stuck somewhere and, and, since it has a lot of history and a lot of, uh, um, you know, it, it gained a huge amount of, of uh, uh, people using it, uh, you know, nobody's going to leave so fast. But if you look at other competitors in the market, you see that they come up with much more uh, intuitive interfaces and a much robust platform as a platform. Like it has a lot of functionality inside the platform. So I think that, the core of WordPress need to change or need to evolve in such a way that first of all, it will be much more user-friendly, uh, mature in terms of uh, user interaction and friendliness. And at the same time, uh, when it does that, I think that new gates will open, right? New opportunities will evolve. And I can, I can give an example from what happened with uh, Magento, which is another platform in the e-commerce business. And I think that Magento declined because like the same reasons, like it wasn't friendly enough. Uh, it wasn't as a platform, it wasn't um, robust enough, although they claim that it's very, very robust. And then then came Shopify and, you know, like right, like almost overnight, you know, it took a lot of uh, users from Magento moving to Shopify, although Shopify is not, uh, you know, it's not a platform that you can install in your servers, but you have to use a SaaS platform. And um, I, I think that, you know, WordPress is not in the same place. Like Magento was maybe 10% and WordPress is more like even less than that. WordPress is more like 33% out of the overall uh, website. So it's, it's bigger, much, much, much bigger numbers, multipliers. But again, I think that... Um, it's, it's not evolving in the right direction from my point of view. Right? So well, since, since of that, I don't see, you know, like it's very hard to start new innovation and to see new technologies, you know, like again, plugins and interact with uh, chat GPT. Right? That's nice. Like that's what we do. But is this a revolution? Is this something that takes WordPress to a new prospects? I don't think so. 
Yeah, I would agree with some of the things you've said there. And um, in the second half of the show, we will delve. I think you've made some interesting points. We're going to go for our mid-break, folks, and then we will continue this really interesting discussion. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. Hey, it's Spence from LaunchFlows.com. If you've been looking for a fast and easy way to create powerful sales funnels on WordPress, then look no further than LaunchFlows. In just minutes, you can easily create instant registration, upsells, downsells, order bumps, one-click checkouts, one-time offers, custom thank you pages, and best of all, no coding is required. For as little as $50 per year, you can own and control your entire sales funnel machine with Launch Flows. Get your copy today. This podcast episode is brought to you by Lifter LMS, the leading learning management system solution for WordPress. If you or your client are creating any kind of online course, training-based membership website, or any type of e-learning project, Lifter LMS is the most secure, stable, well-supported solution on the market. Go to LifterLMS.com and save 20% at checkout with coupon code PODCAST20. That's PODCAST20. Enjoy the rest of your show. We're coming back. We've had a really fantastic discussion with David so far. Um, just want to point out, if you're looking, um, if you've got a client or you're looking for a partner that's got great experience in learning management systems and community websites using BuddyBoss, why don't you look at becoming a partner with, with WP Tonic? We provide hosting, a suite of plugins, and the experience to help you if you're a power implementer, developer, or designer. Plus, we offer some great partnership deals. Um, if this is interesting, go over to WP Tonic slash partners. WP Tonic slash partners. Sign up and we can have a chat and we can help you build fantastic websites for your clients. So, David, on I think you made some fantastic, just to follow through with our last question in the first half of the show, I think you've made some fantastic points. Um, I've been thinking about this considerably. Um, obviously, I don't think uh, open source um, platform like WordPress can ever be totally as user-friendly as a totally focused SaaS-based product. But on the other hand, a lot of SaaS products, they get bloated. They add more and more services to themselves. So in some ways, they end up in a similar situation to WordPress. But the thing that does help them is they have a much unified, to some extent, unified UX design. So are you saying, obviously, I'm sure you've taken that in your statements that being it's an open source project, it can't be totally similar to a, a SaaS product. But um, are you saying that, which I would agree with, that it, it is the UX design and usability and in some ways you can see that with Gutenberg because it's coming on but in UX usability I think it's been one of its greatest weaknesses what how would you respond to those comments David um 
you know, I'm looking first of all over the, uh, the user uh, perspective, right? Like what the user are looking for, and they're looking for ease of use. I mean, like that's that's what they're looking for, and their goal, and they they want to do to to build um, content in the easiest way, and to have have tools that can help them build the content or use the content or change the content in in the in the you know like lowest amount of effort and time. And so the ease of use and usability and user experience is for sure very, very important. And I do agree that, you know, it's easier to do that in a SaaS platform that you control everything rather than in an open source uh, platform that, you know, so many people contribute to. But I think that um, going back to how WordPress evolves, I think that it lacks standards that people really stand behind. And, you know, like there, there are standards and there are, you know, like there are published and you can read them. But <laughs> when you look what happened, what's happening, it's like chaos. Like, and, and we know that as, you know, like we are plugin developers. So we, we take all this uh, on us, like when we build a new product and we need to make it run on so many environments with so many themes, plugins that, you know, interfere with what we did. And you you hope that the standard that WordPress, you know, like there is a standard, there is like a codex, that, but not not many follow it. So so things doesn't work, right? And then you 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 start you go to your product because you can cannot tell your customers like they 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 don't go they do the, don't do the good work like only we do. They don't care. I mean, like they want the product, they purchase the product, they want it to work. Or even if they download it for free, I mean, like, so you you start patching your product to bypass all these anomalies, right? So to make it work, um, and, and that's create the chaos by itself because like there are many many products which are you know building patches of and patches to work with other products in the same environment, and that's because there is lack of standard. Right, and and it's not working well, and um, so I, you, you know, so there are two things, like from the developer or company point of view, like as a developer in or um, somebody that try to contribute to this um, environment, like ecosystem. I think the problem is standards. There is no standards. Like it's supposedly there are, but nobody really follow them or stand behind them or check them or, you know, take off plugins from the repository that don't follow them. And there's so many. Uh, and from the user point of view, again, UI. And again, also in here, there's a room for standards because if there was a standard UI or UX or, you know, usability basic checklist that you had to follow or, you know, th then things would look different. Um, but it also starts from how, you know, WordPress backend looks like, right? If you were speaking about, uh, UX and UI, like, look, let's look at the basic. And again, it's, it's a bit back in time. It's like, like we are in the, <laughs> right? Like, and, and I think that that's, that's part of the problem. So like, you, you need to do, look at the two side of it. But at the, at the end of the day, it's, it's standards that are applied. And somebody is taking them seriously and checking them and making sure and that they are followed and used. Uh, and yeah, it's now it's like 
a bit late because like so many products are in the market and they are written so many ways. It's really, really hard. But you could say like, you know, like this is, this is a democracy in a way, like. Well, I think, yeah, yeah, I think the uh, major hosting companies are looking at this problem because it's a major concern for them. Sure. Um, and if they're going to manage any more growth or sustain their position, now GoDaddy, Bluehost, WP Engine, SiteGround, these are the major people that make the major money in WordPress, apart from Automatic, but they are the major, um, Alimator is an outliner because he has been highly profitable. Um, it has turned itself in some ways a quasar hosting provider because it, it offers a hosted solution plus a plugin solution. Um, that's where I see, um, I think you're totally spot on on what you're saying, David. It's the, my own thoughts have been around that. Over to you, Kurt. <laughs> well, we, we just talked about maybe some of the, the negative aspects of, of WordPress and development or jumping in, but what makes a what makes a new startup or, or a new product uh, attractive for like early stage investing? How can someone approach the the getting into making plugins or products, WordPress or not WordPress, and and be attractive for early stage investing? Okay, so we are shifting away a bit from WordPress, which is fine for me. I mean, like that's my other half. Um, so I think that if I rephrase what you ask, is what what makes a, a startup, a new startup, interesting for an investor? So how how do investors look at startups, right? Like, so I think the first thing that we look at is the team. That's the most important thing. Like we, we people come to us, and in a way, it's an interview. Like we, we meet them and we speak to them, but we are trying to understand who we are talking to and uh, what their strength as you know as um, developers or as business makers or you know people as innovators and what their background is. I think that's very very important to us. And usually we look for teams, not for one person who have an idea. Because it's, it's it's a long road usually. There are many, many, you know, like um, many curves around the way and you have to take shifts and you have to change your product and you have to re innovate it. So it's like you, you have to have a lot of uh, strength and uh, and breath, breath to take all this journey to, to get somewhere. So we're looking for people who have... Usually experienced people, not newcomers. It's really hard to invest in newcomers. Team, like a team of people that knows how to work together, which means that they have some experience working together. And then the next thing that comes up is like, uh, do you have like any kind of MVP, like a minimum viable product that we can look at? Uh, are you managing to sell anything already? And as the market mature, we're looking more and more at products that already have initial sales. So if in the early 20s, people came with, you know, a PowerPoint and they got money these days, they need to come with, you know, product that is already working, you know, some kind of an MVP that they already managed to have some subscribers and they already managed to convert them to paying subscribers. Or, you know, like it, it depends in which field. It's like what I'm saying now is very generic because if you're in the health 
healthcare business, like in, in, in like investing in uh, developing new drugs or uh, medications, uh, there's no chance you'll come up with an MVP. I mean, like, like what I'm saying now is like mostly at, you know, like as, as products, like product, like technology oriented. Um, so th- that's like, you know, that's the, the main thing that we're looking for. Again, the team, uh, their background, uh, if they have some kind of a proof of concept, if they have any initial sales, and then we can continue to do some kind of, uh, you know, like, uh, um, like to, 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 to research a bit and, and understand, uh, what we are investing in, like how how new is this concept? Is there a market for that, or they are trying to invest a market, like invent a market, which is already always hard. Like if you if the, you are the first one in the market and you're trying to build one, uh, rather than there, you know, there you already have competitors and you're just you know doing better better than them. Uh, so that, that's that's our main you know focus. And and when it comes to the you know like the, the end of the the road after you, you know, like you vetted everything and you said, well, right, it's very interesting. Again, there is the valuation and the terms for investment. Uh, but that's like, that's at the end of the road. Like if you think that they are really, really interesting and it's worth your time as an investor and also your money uh, from the investment point of view, then, you know, like the, the valuation part is the last thing to look at. usually. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you think that People that are getting involved in startups, do you think they have a better chance of being like part of an incubator and a group of startups? Or do you think they are better off to be like individual and separate and carving their own path? Right. So I, I think that, that that goes back partly to what by my initial points about what I'm looking at. I think that if you are not a strong team or even if you're missing a team and you're just, you know, an innovator, like, a, you know, then you better go to an incubator then you'll find other partners maybe joining you or depends what kind of incubators are different part of incubators some of them just will will help you you know grow and etc um if you're not very attractive usually then the incubator may let you you know like uh incubate a bit <laughs> grow uh, sharpen your idea if you're really hot if you have something really really hot and Usually, you, 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 I mean, you know, it's generally speaking, it's not like I've, I've seen many, many, you know, unicorns, not many, but there are a few unicorns that started in incubators. It's not like saying that is like, you know, like that's not true, but, you know, the 80 20 percent rule would say that, you know, the, the companies that would get funds easy, very easy, because they have something really, really amazing with a, a, a good team that is inside the company and they, they won't have a problem um, getting funds. So they won't go, you know, they won't join an incubator because the incubator take its toll. Like they're taking usually depends which incubator, which model, you know, like again, very generic. Some of them take 20%, some of them take 15%. Again, depends on the model that they are applying. But um so I would say that goes back to the same things that we are we spoke about. Yeah. I, I I invested only once or maybe twice at the companies that came through an incubator, right? So nice. um, yeah, and one of them is already becoming a unicorn. So like saying that means that <laughs> yeah, saying that means that you know it's not that it's not a straight thing. Like you can say if you if you go to an incubator, you don't have a chance. Like that's not true. Yeah. Thanks. 
Cool. Thank you, David. Jonathan, back to you. Yeah. I'm going to slightly change the twist of the next question a little bit, um, Dave. Um, based, uh, has there been any opportunity, any investment that you decided not to take that, oh, yeah, yeah. that you really <laughs> regret that you're prepared to share that, Sure, sure. I, 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 and you thought, you know, obviously it, it's a bit like the date, the women that was somebody that you should have asked out that you never did. Uh, um, anything comes to mind and uh, maybe you can give some insight on um, why you decided not yeah. to. It. You know, that, that's something that crossed my mind a lot of time because like you, you do, when you see so many companies over so many years, like I'm looking at companies for around 11 years, and um, so I, I decided to invest in some of them and some of them not. Like I've seen like, probably hundreds of companies. Um, and the, of course, there are those that I didn't join, but my usually as investor works uh, with colleagues. You never, you never invest by yourself. Like, like they're always, let's say, friends or, you know, like people who also do investments and we are... We're not incorporated in any company or any, you know, whatever organization, but we are helping each other because there are, you know, in this area, people help each other because nobody knows what, what is right and what is wrong. Nobody knows what will succeed and what will fail. So you always need someone like uh, aside you taking the same risk or joining the risk. So you'll feel better. Like he's, he's also doing that. So I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. So people are helping each other. So. I would say that looking back at the investment I didn't take, I think that for me, there is one common thing that I can say, that if I didn't like the people, didn't like the team, I couldn't feel comfortable investing. <laughs> and the fact that I didn't look at the team was not because they were not professional. Uh, I think that there were three cases that I didn't like the team because they were very outspoken people, full of themselves. But that didn't, you know, that didn't count for anything about their future success, right? So sometimes you, you know, you dislike. So somebody told me once, you know, never choose people who are like you for investment. Like you don't invest in yourself or something which is, you know, mirroring of your personality or whatever. You invest in people that, you know, they have a dream, they have their drive, they're, they're, you know, their personality or the way that they take their dream forward is completely different than the way that you would do. Doesn't mean anything about their ability to succeed, right? So I think that in two, two occasions at least, that was the case. The people in front of me were really, really, you know, like uh, full of themselves, very, you know, like um, not very sympathetic even. They said, we know what we're going to do, you know, like very... And I didn't feel comfortable at that situation and I didn't invest. But, you know, if looking back, <laughs> that was a mistake. So what I'm trying to take out of it is like, don't try to look, to, to look for people who are nice according to your standards. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, you know, you, you need to filter out the, the these, these filters that you, you usually, you know, when you meet someone, when you want to have a friend, right? Like you, you look for friends who are like you, right? But that's not the same when you're trying to invest in someone. He doesn't have to be your friend. He doesn't have to have the same characteristic of people that you like. Doesn't matter. He's like, you know, his 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 job is different, or his job is like 
his goals are different than yours. His personality is different than yours. His attitude is different than yours. That's fine. He can still succeed. Nothing to do with, uh, you know, like, uh, the, the, you know, the criteria that you should have as an investor. So that's something that I learned over the years. And, and uh, yeah, I, I'm not, I know that, that that's something that I shouldn't, you know, um, you know, mark out someone who is not, not the same as, I would expect an investor to be, uh, sorry, an entrepreneur to be or inventor to be. Well, it is a balance, isn't it? You know, I I think that's very insightful. But on the other hand, if you really, really don't trust somebody, you as an investor or business partner, you really think this person is very untrustworthy. You, you've got zero trust. You're probably wise not to invest. So I suppose it's a balance, isn't it? Right, right. But it's what I, what I was speaking, speaking about was not about trust, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's more about, you know, personality. Like you sit with someone who is not, is not polite in your mm-hmm. terms, like, right? Like we have even different cultures sometimes. And in one culture, this will be polite, and another culture, it won't be polite. So, so you know, like I'm not speaking about trust because if somebody is not trustful, then that's it, right? Like, there's no question. But usually, the problem is that it's you know something, someone who is really, in my cases, what, what I've seen is like people that are really outspoken, like they're very, very aggressive, and and sometimes for me it was a bit hard to you know to feel comfortable investing in them. So, and, and looking back, it was a mistake, right? Like I'm, I'm thinking about it and, you know, looking at those, those companies, part of my colleagues invested in them. So I know what happened or what's happening, you know, along the years with those companies. And I know that, you know, that, that was my mistake. Over to you, Kurt. What was it your question? I lost track, actually, Kurt. <laughs> well, usually Jonathan gets to ask this question, but it looks like Ooh. it fell to me this time. Um, David, if you were able to go back in time, if you were able to go back to the beginning of your career, uh, what mm. advice, I mean, like, what advice would you give yourself other than investing in that company that you okay. didn't invest in? <laughs> what, what, what advice would you give yourself then, knowing what you I know think, now? I think that to start investing earlier, to start acting as an investor, you know, like, you, you need to have these guts to say, okay, I'm risking my money and I know what I'm doing, right? So like you have to have this gut feeling or trust in yourself that uh, that's not a lost or a sunk investment. Something that you understand and you know what you're doing. Uh, although the risks are very high, like it's, uh, you know, it's high risk investment. So, I, you know, I started investing as a high tech investor, like a seed investor, like around 11, 12 years ago. I would say, to, I would tell myself, start earlier because you know what you're doing. Like you, you understand things well, like I, my portfolio is like, uh, like if I'm looking back about my investment, I'm, I'm quite positive about my, you know, like what I managed to invest in, how successful it was. So like, so first of all, to tell myself, trust your gut feelings, start investing earlier. Don't, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of losing your money or losing your, you know, whatever you, your saving are. And um, so that's one thing about like related to investments. I think that the, the other thing related to what I did in, in my past, um, you know, I was a bit involved in, in, in the government sector uh, and also in the education center sector. And I think that I have, I have um, two remarks that if I could change what I did in the past, <laughs> 
I would, uh, I, I think that first of all, the government sector is, is really problematic. Like, you know, like you, you can come with a new idea. Everybody doesn't understand what you do. So they give you the space to do what they do, to do what you do. And then they, you know, they, they take the credit for the success. But once they understand what you did, then you, you, you don't manage, like you, your, your pace is getting slower and slower and slower over time because politics can get into it and then you should just quit and leave. Don't wait to the politics. Don't wait until it started. You know, if you have innovation, do them and just walk away from, you know, from those factors because you don't, you don't, it's not something that can evolve over time and have the same speed as it because the politics kills it. So that's one thing that I stayed too long, I think, in, in those sectors. And in the education sector, and I think that's that's worldwide, you know, like web technology has been with us or, you know, online technology has been with us since the 90s. The amount of change in that regards in the schools and the university has, has not been so much. Where it has been considerably amazing is that like how people teach themselves, right? So I think that the, 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 the massive change in education is not because schools have evolved so much or universities. Of course, there are online courses and you know, like Zoom, whatever. Like I think the corona, like the, the COVID made the, the, the most significant change to education. Uh, but I think that the, the, the most prominent change is that the people can teach themselves or take online lessons, you know, just self-studying. And looking back at what I did, I tried to change the system. I tried to change the, you know, the school, how school looks, how school performs. Instead of saying, you know, they won't change so fast. They don't want to change. So try to give enough tools to the kids, to students, so they can learn themselves and they can teach themselves instead of making the school change or adapt to the new technology and, and, you know, provide it or transfer it to the students, to the, and um, again, that's, that's after many, many years of trying to do that. So like I'm saying something which I look, I'm looking back and saying, okay, what, it's not what I did wrong, but what I believed in that turned out to be a bit problematic. So, and I think that in these days you see many, many investments in, in companies that are creating valuable content for learners, for students, right? And, and they're succeeding because like the, 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 you know, the students are paying for that and the students are uh, enjoying that. And the system itself, again, it's moving slowly. It's like progressing slowly. But the bigger progress made is by students and by those tools that are providing aid or help or, you know, support for students. And there are many, many examples of that. So yeah, yeah. if I'm looking back at my, you know, background, what I did, that's, that's, that's the, the things that I would say myself, you know, don't try to change the system, try to provide more tools to the people who enjoy or are, you know, um, are trying to use the system or trying, you know, like a part of the. Right. We've got one final question and I'm going to wrap it up. I've really enjoyed the conversation, David. You've been a fantastic guest. Um, are there any particular books, website, individuals, online resources 
that re- that recently have really influenced you and thought mm. that had any kind of original ideas that would be interesting to our audience that you would like to share, David? Well, that's that's hard because I'm I'm uh, I'm very eclectic at what I read. I am. Uh, <laughs> I'm just uh, you know I'm just gathering pieces of information and just uh, inside me you know like I'm 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 cycling a lot and like I'm doing a lot of uh, outdoor cycling. So that's that's the best time where ideas pop up. Like really, like it's it's quite amazing. Like I'm I'm just going out in the middle of the day, taking like a you know, one hour one and a half hour trail. And then I come back with more ideas. And all I, those ideas are based on things that I've read, not specific, you know, like, so my feeds are from multiple places. I, I cannot even tell you that there is something very, very specific that continuously brings me those ideas, but I'm like collecting ideas in many, many places and trying to, to you know, digest them. And then again, the, the, the magic happens when I'm cycling. So that's uh... so. Your tip is to cycle. <laughs> well, I walk. I, I, I walk in the morning and walk in the evening about mm-hmm. about five miles a day. So that's when I do mm. my thinking. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap it up, David. Hopefully, later on in the year, you decide to come back because I thought it's been a fabulous discussion. So, if people want to find out more about you, David, what are the best online resources to find out something more about you? Yeah, sure. So first of all, there's my LinkedIn page, like um, David underscore Rushdie, like, as, as it spells in my uh, on this interview. And there is the website of my company, www.cminds.com. Like it's Creative Mind. If you look for Creative Minds, also WordPress, and you'll find us. And, and my email is david at cminds.com. That's great. And Kirk, what's the best way for people to find out more about you and what you're up to, Kirk? Similar to David, I am really active on LinkedIn and I'm the only Kurt Von Onen you're going to find on LinkedIn, so that makes it easy. <laughs> um, and then anything under Manana Nomas, that's me. Manana Nomas is my agency and, and, the, uh, and the URL to find me. That's great. We will be back next week with another fabulous guest, another great interview. We've got some fantastic guests like David coming up in the next few weeks. I'm always amazed and privileged at the standard of guests that agreed to come on the show. It's quite humbling sometimes. It's always, hopefully, I think it's quite humbling for some of the guests as well, <laughs> dealing with me. Um, but we will be back next week, folks. We'll see you soon. Hey, thanks for listening. We really do appreciate it. Why not visit the Mastermind Facebook group? And also to keep up with the latest news, click wp-tonic.com forward slash newsletter. We'll see you next time.